So, so, so when I, I'm thinking hustle, it's like... So if I had to word association, activist hustle. I think activism is just taking a stand. People um, of color, minorities, existing as themselves fully and embracing the hell you don't, that. you hustle to get something that like is not I'm on the road. And not only that, everyone's struggling. Helpful to me is getting shit done. Always a light at the end of the tunnel. I would just say, action every day. You're about to listen to an interview that highlights the dopest of millennial activist projects from across the country to feed the inner activist in all of us. Welcome to the Activist Hustle. The Activist Hustle is brought to you by Blueprint Leadership. Oh, wow. I think that move is called something. You know, to be a break dancer, you have to have so much body strength. Hey, that's awesome. I know, I love that. All right, so who are we interviewing on our show today? So, yeah, we were just watching the great breakdancing styling of Brian Pistols. What? Let's go, Brian. Where is he from? He is from... Lynn, Massachusetts. What else about Brian? Should we tell the people before they meet him? Okay, so Brian, he grew up in Lynn. He started dancing when he was, what, 11 years old? And he's been dancing ever since. It's like, you know, this is the one thing we highlight about our activists. What are they passionate about? I think passion really drives the activism. And this is one of the cases where we have a guest who's so passionate about dance. And mm -hmm. not just any dance, but break dancing. Let's Go to all my hip hop lovers out there. We've got some break dancing in the house today. Yeah, we're so we're so excited for you to hear all the insights that Brian has, not only about break dancing, but how he brings it back to his community and has really made a career of this passion and turned it into activism. Oh man, I couldn't have said it any better myself. Mm, thanks, Lena. Let's jump into it. Okay. All right, let's do this. You want to jump into it? Of course, start in head first. Okay. Both feet, same time. <laughs> so, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about, like, who are you? Sure. Tell us a little bit about Brian. Uh, well, I guess there's two sides of Brian. There's Brian Lim and there's Brian Pistols. So, Brian Lim, obviously, my government name. Um, shit, how... How, how, how deep do we dig? Can I curse? <laughs> yes, you can okay. curse. I'm a first-generation born um, Asian-American male. Um, first generation out of three that's not a refugee. My parents are all born and raised in Cambodia, but my grandparents are all born and raised in China. Okay. So there's Chinese and Cambodian influences in my upbringing. Uh, my grandparents fled China during World War II when Japan invaded, and they fled to Cambodia. That's where my parents are born, and then um, by the time they were like teenagers, you know, the Khmer Rouge happened, which is a Cambodian genocide, um, and refugee camps bouncing around and such, and then in 1993, my parents ended up here in the States. And, and then seven years later, I was born. Okay. Actually, I was born in Malden, but I was raised in Lynn. I've tried running away plenty of times. Plenty of times I, I was pretty successful at it. Uh, but then I always just like came back. It's changed a lot. Um, definitely, definitely changed a lot. 
And I guess growing up, it was just like your typical ghetto place to grow up. Very diverse. Um, street violence, gang violence, drugs. Uh, it has good parts to it. It has good parts, you know what I mean? Now it's definitely a lot better, but you can never fully remove the, the shitty parts. <laughs> right. Or people, whatever you want call it yeah so what had but you do work in Lynn right yeah so what um, has brought you back to Lynn because that's my roots um I guess growing up it was one of those places where you was always like oh we're from Lynn and, 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 and this place is shit and because you're from Lynn and, you know you're not going to really amount to anything I've had middle school guidance counselors be like all right so what branch of you know the military are you going to join that that was a reality and then there was even certain class segments you know your smart class and like the the, the brainiac students mm -hmm. um which i thought i was and then next thing you know they throw you in this class of kids that are expected to drop out or go to jail or die before the school year's over yeah. and i'm sitting in that class like why am i here i'm fucking bright that's so relatable i remember when i moved to westboro I was labeled at risk, and I'm like, why? Yeah. Why am I at risk? Like, at I'm risk good. Of greatness. Like, come <laughs> yeah. on, stop. What are you guys doing? How did you, Brian, go from a student who was being um, necessarily not necessarily up for success, like wasn't expected to succeed, um, end up as Brian Pistol? What was your introduction today? <clears throat> Started off, um, my brother and I, two of my older brothers. They were the ones that got me into dancing. I like to think that I really only got into it out of like the sibling rivalry between my brothers at that time breaking was was very connected and very relatable very prominent still in gang culture so a lot of my early inspirations that i saw it was the gangsters that i saw you know maybe lunchtime at the cafeteria in the corner you know it was it was a lot of the asian gangsters too because i was what was very prominent that I guess I picked up on my radar just being an Asian male in that community. Um, and just seeing them like go and do stuff and being like, wow, you're not supposed to be able to do that. And I've always kind of been a, like a rebellious child, I guess. So when I saw that, I was like, this is the ultimate rebellion. You're physically not supposed to be able to do that. You're not supposed to be able to what is this? I, I had no idea. I didn't know if it was a dance. I didn't know if it was like acrobats. I didn't know if it was stunning. It just, I couldn't even process what was going on. So there was that side of like, wow, that's such a rebellion. But then it was also, these guys are gangsters. Yeah, so I started dancing probably, I was dancing already in middle school. Okay. Um, but for a long time, it was just like, we weren't dancing to improve. It was just like, we were just destroying mom's living room floor. Um, and then when my oldest brother went to high school, he met up with a lot of the other guys in our city that were dancing. And those were actually some of the people that I first seen dancing live. Mm -hmm. Those were like, they were like superheroes to me. So in order for my brother and I to actually go practice with them, keep in mind, we're middle school. Dude. So we tell our mom, like, you know, we want to go practice after school. You see us practicing all the time at home. We want to go practice with the high school kids. And my mom's like, Hell no. <laughs> um, so we lied and we said we joined the after school program. <laughs> and nice. then we would just go to the high school after and go practice with them. And, and what, was, what was the community like around that time? And how did it evolve? Like, was the breaking itself like welcoming of newcomers? Was it competitive? No. Was it 
more like youth community building? I guess within that group in itself, it was welcoming because I was a baby in the group. I remember at that time it was like kids in school would go up to me, some of my homies, and be like, well, well, you know, if we had to join a gang, what gang would you join? Because that was like a decision at that time. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, oh, what high school are you going to go to? It was like, well, what gang would you join? Um, and at the same time, a lot of the older gangsters would start recruiting their their new wave from the middle schools, you know? Right. So it was like, there was that dynamic. And I like to think, like, instead of that for me, I kind of just went on the dance route because by the time I got to college, I had already, you know, a fair amount of years under my belt and already kind of established myself, I guess, in the dance community, at least within Massachusetts, as like, yeah, he's a part of our community, you know? Yeah, own Um, that, own that. Say more about that. It was very important, like, when you showed up, it was almost like there was you, there was your crew, and there was where you guys were from. And I think those were just early values, not just in breaking, but in hip-hop. And because we, I came up in that era, kind of, I, I guess I would say, is the tail end of the golden era. You know, those are things that were really big. And uh, there were even some dancers um, that were the older generation. They were all from there. They're, they're from a group called Lords of Illusions. And... You know, they, those guys were like kind of legendary. And this generation I came up with was predominantly Asian, but that generation was primarily Dominican. And even now, um, that's my family now. You know, uh, we've kind of grown up together. And w- when that age gap kind of stopped, I'm happy to say that a lot of those guys that I looked up to that were part of Palo Wire are just close homies of mine. So then as people start to, you know, I guess not have their dancing on the the priority of I guess what they're pushing towards you know it's like okay well that's all right you know at least the way that my groups have always looked at the crews I've been affiliated with have always looked at it I know there's other groups that are like well you're not competitive in, in performing anymore so you can't be down with the crew right the groups I've been a part of have never taken seen it in that way because it was very family oriented it was like that was your brother that was your family yeah. um I think that's very similar to gang culture of like, there's broken families, and then that gang becomes your family. How do you see the intersection, if at all, of breaking and activism? Hip hop has always spoken about what's going on, um, and breaking is just you know a sub segment of all that. Even physically in my dance, I've always been known, and I guess I've built my platform as a dancer for being creative. I never had the best moves. I was just always a creative guy because, you know, we grew up broke. We didn't really have anything. Mm -hmm. So to me, these were my things. These were my possessions. I would go to school with these holes in my sneakers because I was practicing destroying them. Right. I used to color my sock in. Like, I have black sneakers. I used to get Sharpie and color certain parts of my socks so it looked like they didn't have holes in my sneakers, you know? Like, that's just what it was so I couldn't pride myself on anything that I had I could pride myself on things that I created obviously you're very talented and obviously you you know so you were able to take your creativity take your passion and somehow you know like you said this is all I have like this is but I also have to eat and so how did you how do you see the thread of your creativity and your passion being breaking but also your 
I would say, commitment to your community and to Lynn, um, all intersecting. It's just the journey of me as a dancer, where, you know, you may start off with, you know, a particular goal and such, but you see how it evolves. I think of it in terms of, like, a community and, and, and family. I've got nephews and nieces now, you know, so you have to see how you evolve, too. Not just in your actual life and maybe in work, but I see that in the dance community. Now, there can be a lot of ego involved in that. So you, you have to like be very aware of yourself. But it really got to a point where I didn't feel as though competing at home was doing anything for me. So there was a, there was a teacher when I was growing up, named Mark Feldman, and he got a deal at the Boys and Girls Club where we were able to go practice mm -hmm. two times a week. But we had to teach the Boys and Girls Club kids for an hour in exchange. We got two hours of practice time. Oh, wow. So, so that's, that's I'm going to stop you there because we need to highlight the hustle. That wasn't it for me. That was, I was, I was still, you know, the middle school kid at that time. Yeah, but still, even there. like you But that was see, somebody hustling for me. Yeah, exactly. You could see the, the hustle being part of what has now evolved to be part of you, right? right? To be something that you are leading. And I think that... It's important to know that it, it started before us. Oh, absolutely. And sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes we start it, but it will continue after us. Exactly. Right? I wanted to provide an opportunity to a lot of the high school students in Lynn that have expressed interest in breaking, and I want to give them the same opportunity I was given. You know, there was this interest in the, from the high school kids in the city um, about, like, you know, we want to dance, we want to do this, and they were practicing on their own, just, like, after school, whatever. Um... And I saw, like, a gap between, you know, them as the high school students and me. And breaking is a culture. Hip-hop is a culture. Culture doesn't keep itself alive. It's up to the people of that culture to keep yeah. that culture alive. Yeah. So, and, and I know that just being, you know... Have grown up in a family of Chinese and Cambodian heritage. Thinking back to my own family, is like people literally died to keep the culture alive. Yeah. Um, and then coming here and having to keep it alive in a different place. Exactly. For sure. And then seeing how you know these cultures can blend while still not being like this culture is better or this culture is whatever. You know what yeah. I mean? So I always understood that culture was important. It's up to the people to keep the culture alive. And not only that, but it's also up to the elders to pass it on to the younger. Yeah, for that, sure. you know, people are, oh, well, they're ignorant and they don't know and this and that. And it's like, well, that's not their fault. It's not your fault if you're ignorant. If you're ignorant and someone tries to show you the light, pass you the light, and you disregard it, then it's your fault. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's a problem just in general today, I guess. Yeah, I think it's also... And I'm just, you know, reflecting on everything you're saying right now. But I think it also has to do with, this has come up a couple of times on, on the show already, which is the time that we are living in. And it's absolutely about, you know, the realization as a generation that it's not about us at some point, that it becomes about the next generation. It's never about you. The, yeah, but, but you don't always know that. When you're growing up, when you're young, it's it's definitely about you. It's about you and your life. And then, you know, generationally it happens, this awakening of like, wait a minute, mm -hmm. 
you know, this isn't just about me and, and my generation, but the ones that are coming in, I think that <coughs> speaks to why maybe the generation before us didn't necessarily prepare us, but also speaks to how different our generation is. I think that millennials are so unique because we got to see what was and we we're seeing what is and what might be. Um, and then Gen Zs are even more, you know, they're growing up and what will be and they're ready to go and, and they definitely have... A, a larger gap understanding of what was. Right. Um, but I do think that that's also important to know because, again, it's a thing that has come up multiple times on the show is, like, right. what is our duty to the to the ones after us? And I think that it's so admirable that you get to have that be part of something that you're really passionate about, too. I don't think a lot of people get to do what they love and activate you through that as well. Or maybe just a lot of people don't take that gamble. Or a lot of people don't take that gamble. Yeah, I think fear holds a lot of us back too. So he's a break dancer. How does this make him an activist? So Brian talked to us a lot about how he is just like bringing break dancing back to his community and like serving the youth in the way he was served. Oh, that is so, that's bringing it back to the roots all the way back. He's turned his passion into basically a career and turned it into his own activism. There it is, a reoccurring theme, passion. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Do all activists have to be passionate? I think it is a key ingredient. Wow. Well, let's jump in <laughs> and see if that's the case. So tell me about entering Shaolin. Those high school kids that we were talking about earlier, they were doing an event partnered with the YMCA. And I went to one of them, and I actually wasn't so happy with the way it turned out. It felt very checklist. Right. Judges check, DJ check, you know? Yeah. But it, it wasn't very like, it wasn't like we're sharing with you a piece of our community. We're sharing you this. And especially for me, because at that time I was already a bit older, and I was like, people are coming to Lynn for this. So then I, I was able to work much more directly with, with uh, the kids there. And... They were a part of a group at the YMCA called Kaya, and they were doing another event, and they asked me to kind of help them out in it. That was like my first real experience working on an event side of things. Mm-hmm. And it was really just, to me, it was really just like, if people are coming to Lynn for an event, like, they're going to get quality. Maybe we don't have the biggest budget, but they're going to go, and they're going to be like, like, this is really about it. This is really something worth investing your time into. What was the um, outcome that you were hoping for this event? I wasn't hoping for any outcome. I don't think I don't think it's healthy to go into things like that with an expectation. Mm -hmm. Um, You just go with the best intention, and that's it. And then I hosted the event, and I think everybody was like, "Oh shit, that was really good." So if you had to, if somebody was like, "Okay, in two sentences, tell me what is the event?" There's two sides of it. So there's a competition, and then there's the actual jam. You know, so. The competition, you know, you think of it as like your 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 sports bracket, sixteen teams or whatever, and you know, those two teams compete. The winner moves on to the next round, so you go from sixteen to eight to four to two, and then you get your winner from that. So there's that side of it, but then there's also the part where it's a gym, so it's, it's like a party. Shortly after that, uh, some people from Boston University hit me up and was like. We want to know if you'd be interested in hosting the Overdrive event, 
which is like their big jam and dance showcase. Right. Uh, and it's a it, that event pretty much kicks off the year for the Boston dance scene. And at that time, I was like, "What?" Because I didn't expect anything to come out of what I did for that event at, at home. Uh, that was just me doing my part to make sure that things went right. Right. Especially in my own hometown. And then I was like, "Sure, why not?" So I, I took that offer. And then before that date even, before that event even happened, I think Tufts University hit me up. But after Overdrive, it just took a life of its own. Like, I didn't plan any of this. I didn't I didn't go into it like, I want to host and organize and do this and do this. It just, you know, just that one time of what I did for my hometown, just out of the love and for it and all that, just kind of spiraled out into this whole mess that... I still haven't quite taken a step back from to process and be like, where do I want to take it now? Right. You know? So where entering Shaolin has happened how many times? Twice. Okay. Doing doing my own event has always been in the back of my head since I was like twelve. Um, okay. um, so yeah, after working with all those different, you know, organizations, events, and such, and, and being a part of that. And I think I just finally got comfortable enough with myself to be like, well, I, I think I'm at that point where I have that stature to be like, I'm going to do an event. And not just I'm going to do an event, but the whole community. Yeah. Like, we can get behind it. We can support that. So I finally felt comfortable enough in that position. Let me bring it back home. So that's where Entering Shaolin came in. And for those listening, Entering Shaolin is spelled S-H-A-O-L-Y-N-N. And that kind of just celebrates my own heritage and my city. Wow, it was so dope, that first one. I couldn't believe it. Like, I just started kind of walking through the room and being like, I can't believe that I, I was able to bring it all back. And, and But it felt good to look around and being like, this is such raw culture right now going down. This is like the essence of breaking and, and, and hip hop all in one room. And obviously, like I said, like you don't do it with an expectation, you do it with an intention. Like mm -hmm. you can you can plan a pretty picnic, but you can't predict the weather, right? So that's the kind of approach you take when you do these events. I mean, thank you all. And it, it made me see the scene different. You might go to the event as a competitor and see, you know, a group of guys over there and you're like, eh, whatever, like those group of guys, no big deal. But then when you do an event and those group of guys are there, you're like, yo, thank you so much for coming. That means so much yeah. to me. Um, so it flips your dynamic. Like I said, you'll say like, you know, you got to flip the dynamic with like say me as an uncle now to a nephew or me as an elder in the community now instead of being a baby. Now, not just as a competitor, but like, like now I'm giving you this platform and I'm so grateful for that because I'm grateful for the people that have given me the platform to build my name. It's crazy to see it all go full circle. Right. But... I remember after that event was said and done, um, somebody went up to me and was like, that was so dope, I can't wait till next year. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> like, I didn't really plan on it. just put the expectation on you. Yeah, like, right? This is happening. <laughs> but the thing that made it a bit different was that there was, there's certain things in the breaking community that I want to address. You know, I felt like the focus was so much on competition, and it still is, but I wanted to give them something that wasn't. So I had, I had a particular format that allowed for the competition to be shortened down mm -hmm. and be really condensed, which allowed more time for what we call to be ciphers, which is kind of just like free-for-all open. And I also got to bring down um, one of my favorite DJs from Montreal, 
it was like it was just so much all in one because he was a breath of fresh air for everybody from what they used to hear right and like I said before music is the mother of dance so this was just like a whole new experience and the fact that it was in Lynn was like just different it was at a venue that no one's ever been to before so it was just what venue was it uh, the Vision Space Gallery in Lynn um, and it wasn't like big bright lights and everything like it was a dim setting like you, you really made it feel like a jam party and not so much of like big lights okay super competitive I'm gonna destroy you type it's like alright sure like there's a time for that the time is for that it's not right now yeah uh, like there's a photo booth you know what I'm saying and I made sure to try to incorporate as much of the people involved in the community as much as possible like the, the photo booth was run by a guy named Alan, who used to be down with a crew called H2O from Lowell. And Lowell, that crew was one of the first crews to like whoop my ass when I was young. <laughs> There's more to it than just the dance itself. Like I, I always say the best part of breaking is not the breaking. You know? Like the best part of the breaking is like Alan, like you don't break anymore. You got this photo booth company, you do all this. Like would you like to set up at my event? That's that's like the best it's part. The community, right? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people don't have that. A lot yeah. of people don't have a sense of group, so they look for places to find that. And right. they think that it's super dope that dancing is one of them. The dancing is a community that you can find, and if you find yourself in it, and if you identify with it, and if you're passionate about it, yeah. you get to have a life like yours, right? Where you have an international community where it's been years and years and years that you're in this, and you've built yourself up to be able to bring it back to the community and right, bring right. it back to the next generation. Yeah, I think it's, it's, uh, it's definitely super dope to, to kind of in the midst of it all, kind of just stand there and, like, take a step back and just look around and, like, forget that it's even your event. Do you ever say, like, damn, I'm an activist? No. <laughs> Don't go yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think it came up when I was talking to you. They used to always advertise it as, like, b-boy battle, b-boy battle, right? And, like... I remember one year I was working with overdrivers at Boston University and they were like, and I was like, well, let's call it a one-on-one breaking because there's plenty of B-girls out there that are involved and not just involved, but fucking wreck it. And like, that's just not fair. Yeah. Like, because women have always been involved. Right. And even, even, you know, like with overdrive, bringing in the first female judge to sit on the judge's panel oh, and wow. not just having, you know, someone on that judge's panel, but bringing in Rockefeller who's an OGB girl but it really is just like okay well maybe these people that have the resources from whatever institutions they're involved in to do these events like okay well you got the resources but when it comes down to being like who do you get to fill these positions you know what I mean and they don't quite know the community in that dynamic and maybe they always go to the same old same old whoever right. and to me I'm like well if we have these resources and you want to do like a dance event, like we can make this a win-win for all of us rather than just like, oh, you guys get that win, but then we get a shitty event, you know, because the dance is so complex and showing that to everybody here. That's what my big thing is to, to share with everybody. Like I said, this is culture. Yeah. You share the culture. It's so admirable. Like, I hope you realize that, that it's so admirable that you're able to bring an event that you're trying to hold authentic, that you're trying to keep the culture alive, that you're trying to showcase the the reality of it, right? Like you said earlier, like 
you could have an, an an event that's like come here look at this and and have it be like the wrong like yeah, definitely check, not owning check, it. yeah like a checklist cool. event like not owning the roots of it not owning the people who are have been living in it you know the grandfathers of it and not and not honoring the youth which is a thing I saw about this particular event that it's it's intersections are so big they are generational they are cultural they are and bringing it back to Lynn you know I think that that's really important too. bring you back to the roots they're true right they're authentic they're organic so I also saw on there about the event that there was a fundraising part yeah people gave donations or yeah so I made sure at least for entering Shaolin which is my own personal project to make it free for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want, cause like I wanted to get as much of like, say the high school crowd or, or the youth and, you know, involved as possible. I just want to make it open and very accessible yeah. to them. And so being like, from the community, you know, the barriers that exist. Yeah. You exactly. know? I mean, like when we were growing up in high school, we saw an event that we wanted to go to and it's like oh shit sure, I'm not going to come up with like $10 well I guess I'm going to starve for a couple of days exactly. you know what I mean exactly yeah. and I think that's a tool for listeners you know that are being energized right now that are thinking about their own events that are thinking about things that they want to do to bring it back to the roots of like okay what were challenges that we faced when we were younger <laughs> right and how can we lift those challenges for the new generation and right? I think about that a lot in terms of what I do and what direction to take it in that I really just give um what I needed yeah that it's it's very simple I'll, only I can really articulate and feel what I needed mm-hmm. um or maybe what I wish I had um so when I do these things like I, I give it in that sense of like, okay, well, you know, like think about all the pa- the sacrifices that our parents did for us, you know what I mean? So that we can look better. And it's almost like, well, I kind of take that same approach to doing the work that I do. Just back to the fundraising portion of it. So you asked for donations and where did all that oh, go? Oh, yeah. It, it went to, um, um, back to the Vision Space Gallery to kind of just fund youth programs. So I, I just want to dissect this for the listeners because here you are, you know, from what I'm saying, like owning your craft, owning the culture, owning your space in it, right? Your evolution, staying true to the evolution of it, coming in and saying, I want to have an authentic event that highlights the culture that has a competition that's organic and authentic but also gives resources to keep the art alive beyond just breaking which is freaking amazing like yeah i really think so like and i hope that you realize that i think the other thing and and the one thing that we want to do as we activate our listeners and we activate the millennials and the gen z's that are listening to this that you're sitting here being like, yeah, you think that's great? Like, yeah, that's great. That's great. And we need to own that. We need to keep doing it, right? Like, I want our listeners to listen to you and say, like, damn, I don't know if I could have done that, but I'm going to try, right? And what do you think? I think one of the the reason why I say this is because I think one of the biggest challenges of our generation is the fear. What do you think was your biggest challenge in getting to year two of entering Shaolin? Well, I've always been a fucking anxious kid, but at the same time, like a rebellious spirit. So there's always been like those inner battles with yourself. Um, And before, just like, you know, you get nervous before you go perform or you go battle or whatever. Um, 
now it's more like, you know, the expectations people have on you. And you have to have your ego in check. Because if you go in and you're thinking about other people's expectations of you, or like, well, I'm this, and I've done this, and I've done this, and it's like, your, your ego then takes the front lead, you know? It's not like your true, authentic self. It's your ego. Mm-hmm. Look at me. Ooh, check this out. Um, so it's much easier said than done, but like, you really just have to stay super humble to it all. So what keeps you going? What inspires you or activates you or what is it that, you know, again, like our podcast is the activist hustle. What is it that keeps you both hustling? Because you got a job, right? And Mm. you're dancing and you're traveling and you're doing it all. So what is it that inspires you and keeps you going? I ain't fucking done. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? It's not like you go into this and you're like, I want to give quality events and this and that. Like, like we're passing down culture. You don't pass down culture in two years. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, are your parents still done passing down culture to you? You know what I'm saying? Like, this isn't a one or two year contract. You're this in is, it. You're in it This life. is lifelong. This is lifelong. Or at least to the point where somebody else picks up the torch. And it's just like, that's what love is. It's not like everything's fun and games all the time. It's not about you. You're just a part of it all. And that there's so much more to it before you. There's going to be so much to it after you. Like, it's not about you. You're just a part to help take it to new levels. And maybe somebody else is going to, from there, take it even beyond that. You know what I'm saying? Like It just continues to evolve. Yeah. With, with enough nurture, with, lo- with enough love, it will continue to evolve. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I maybe, maybe I'm just planting the seeds, right? Who knows if I'm ever going to be able to eat the fruit that harvests from the tree. But you still got to go and fucking water that shit when you need to. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I love that. I love that. I think that's a perfect way to leave it. All right. Dope. Well, that was Brian. Thank you, Brian. Anything, any parting words that you want to say? The flavor continues. Wow. So that was a lot. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Um, I honestly don't even know where to start now. I feel like well, one of the things I want to highlight, I think, from this episode is that it all goes back to the root of it, which is love. Mm. Like, there is nothing that you can do that will be successful and, and live beyond you if there is not love involved in it. And I think this goes to every activist that is out there and every hustler who is out there. I think that that's why we do the activism portion. I think that that's why we do the hustle portion of it. It's out of love, right? Mm-hmm. Love for our family, love for ourselves, love for the our children or the next generation. Um, and commitment comes from that, from that love. And he loves Lynn. He loves his community where he grew up. He hasn't always loved it. And I think that is such a, a testament to exactly his commitment to his family even if he if he didn't love his community I think he always respected it enough to to come back and I think it's really powerful to make all of those skills that skills and abilities that you as you get older that you grow into and you have all of these um personal like personal resources and bringing that back to the community that bred you it's just such a beautiful thing to see and it speaks to his individual journey too Mm -hmm. you know like 
not all of us are going to wake up and have all the, re- like, know our passions and have the resources to go and do it. And, mm-hmm. all right, we're good to go. I'm an activist, right? Yeah. And I think in particular for him, he had to leave home to find out that home is where he wanted to come back to, you know? And no matter how hard the hustle gets, no matter how deep in the activism you're in it, you have to remember who you are or where you come from, right? It's like mm-hmm. your roots. It's... It's what centers you. It's what moves you. It's what it's what's made you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I would say for any activist out there, to always remember where you're from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's gonna like look different oh, for yeah. everyone. Oh yeah. It's like obviously, it's so different. Everyone has all these different roots, but but it's what makes you different, mm-hmm. and it's what makes you you, and it's what makes your activism and your hustle true and genuine. You mm-hmm. know. I guess the other thing I would say that I took away from this is um, how important it is to have the whole, like, wholeheartedly a diversity in what you do. You know, like, bringing the whole community. He was like, I had a photographer, but the photographer <laughs> was that, you know, and it's like, yeah. sometimes you don't even know these resources exist. You just have to use your network, extend your network, say, hey, like, I know you've taken a couple pictures. Be the photographer for this. Open up opportunities in that way. Yeah, which is so awesome. As we get as we get older, you start having these connections you had forever. People start having different skills, and you're like, I'm going to tap into that resource. Yeah. And I think it was so important for Brian to do that because he was trying to curate a really high-quality event for his community. And it was successful. Yeah. But not only that, he was trying to curate an event that was for the community, by the community. Yeah. And often we don't see that. I, you know, we were talking about nonprofits earlier. It's like you see people who are not from the community constantly try to bring in resources and constantly try to do events and constantly mm-hmm. try to show you things. And it's like, I want to see my people do this. I want to see mm-hmm. my people being the ones that are leading the distribution of the resources, that are leading opening the doors for access, whether it be in education or whether, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Like, I want us to be taking the charge and doing that for each other mm-hmm. um, as opposed to others. And not to say that others don't have a part. Of course they do. That's The whole concept of activism can't be done without everybody being there, everybody being committed, everybody being at the table. But there's also something... It just, it's, it just means more if it's from someone from your community like you said, for the community, by the community. And that's why, honestly, I think it's an interesting conversation. I think it's controversial a little bit, this decision we were talking about, where, like, do you decide to go back home? Like, after you go get your degree, or after you go get your experience, and you go get your skills, like, where you go and what you do with it. It's a hard decision to make. And I I think that I might be team... Take it back home. Really? I think so. And, I mean, this is a choice that I'm, like, personally dealing with right now. So I go back and forth on it. But when he he said, why go looking for something better? Why not just make home better? Right. You know? I think the other thing is, what is home? Some people, like Brian, have a very clear concept of what his home is, right? Like, yeah. His home's not Cambodia. That's mm-hmm. his parents' home. And who knows if his parents consider that home anymore, you yeah. know? But for him, it was Lynn. He grew up in Lynn. Lynn provided for him. But not everybody has that experience. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people who don't have a home, don't have, like, a house, like, a legitimate structure that they consider home, let alone a town. Mm -hmm. I think 
one of the things that this interview highlighted for me was, again, the immigrant experience in the United States. I think millennials have had the opportunity, and Gen Z whew, are growing up in the opportunity, of being able to travel. Yeah. Of being able to pick up and start off somewhere else. Not all of us come back, mm-hmm. right? I think mm-hmm. that that's another thing with millennials. Sometimes we go somewhere and we're like, damn, this is where home is. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't know it. I'm not from here, but I found a home in here. And that, that's kind of how I feel about Chicago, actually. Like, mm-hmm. I love Chicago. I know I'm going to go back to Chicago. But it it was never, you know, I'm not from there. I didn't grow up there. But I think that what is home? That's that's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> I, for, for me, I have a very clear-cut hometown, like you said, and my whole family lives there. Like, I'm not just talking my nuclear family, like, all my cousins, my aunts and uncles, my grandparents, like, it's the same, like, same town. Yeah. So, I, maybe that's why I feel drawn, and it's really important for me to hear this different perspective of, like, not everyone has that. Yeah. So, maybe it's not even that I think everyone should, like, make the, that decision to, like, go back to your hometown or whatever you define your roots as, but that I should feel lucky that I even have that as an opportunity. For sure. And also, and even further, the opportunity to even bring it back home. Some people don't have the option to go back home. Yeah. You know, if in one of my personal experiences was when I went on my backpacking trip a couple years ago, you know, that was my purpose. You know, vet or or go through all of these Latin American countries and pick a a nonprofit that I wanted to work at and go Mm -hmm. move there. And half of my trip was, what am I doing? I have been given the privilege to go to the United States where literally like the dollar amount that I would make for any work, Mm -hmm. even if it were a cashier or like a very entry level job that requires very little skills would make me more money than going back to Latin America. And am I, and am I, in a way, like what Brian had said about, it's about us making it better for the next generation. And our parents did that for us. Am I backtracking by going back home? Mm-hmm. Like, am I really pushing the needle forward if I go back to Colombia and decide that that's where I want to give my myself to and my passion and my skills and my time? Mm-hmm. Or am I setting my, myself further back? Because now I'm not where I have all this access and I'm not where I have my network that's my home. That's where my roots are. Right. Right. And so I think that that's when I bring up Chicago, it's like really about finding where your home is Mm -hmm. and finding how you can bring and make your home better. Yeah. And not losing, not losing the roots just because you're leaving them. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. I guess in conclusion, we can say, remember who you are and where you've come from and let it energize you and activate you so that you bring everything that you have, regardless of where you've gone or not, to the place that you've, that you've decided to make your home. I like that. I love it. And we're going to take a moment to thank everybody who made this podcast possible, starting with you, the listener. Without you, there would be no us. I'd also like to thank the Activist Hustle team, starting with Rachel Sullivan, your producer and director, Aaron Taylor, our producer and editor, Brandon Rush, our creator, Amina Chandani for your creative logos and constant creative input, The Yard for lending us your space to record, and a final shout out to Blueprint Leadership 
If this episode has at all inspired you to take action, remember, we have support for you. Blueprint is a leadership program made by young activists for young activists. Check out blueprintldc.com services and see how we can support you on your activist hustle.